Well, I am now well immersed into the role of grandfathering. And this has required me to dust off some skills that have uh, lain dormant for quite a few years. An example uh, being the ability to get a wee little one to take a bite of something that they have no desire nor intention of taking a bite of. Now, you're familiar with this technique. First, you take a bite. And then you make this greatly exaggerated facial expression. You say, mm, oh, this is so good. Pop loves this. Then you take a second bite and you repeat. Mm, this is so good. I love this. And then you rub your stomach for added effect, right? And then you put a bite on a spoon and you offer it to the child and say, here, you take a bite. And if all goes well, because you loved it so much, the child opens wide and takes a bite too. But of course, you do not want to try this technique and waste your trust capital on something that's not good, like mushed peas. Because, well, if they think you think that's good, they'll never trust you again. And you'll only ever find a mouth clamped shut. However, when you think something's good, and they think you think something is good, then they may try it and think it's good as well. It's easier to get people to love what we love. And I think that's why King David writes in Psalm 19 that the words of God are sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. It's David's way of saying, mm, mm, the word of God is so good. Here, you try it too. And David knows that he is not squandering his trust capital. He's convinced that all who try the word of God will find it sweet and good. What do people think of your taste or appetite for the word of the Lord? If you offer it to them, if you offer it to your children, even to your spouse, other family members, friends, co-workers, would they be willing to try it because they know that you love it so much? And because they know that the word of God has changed you so much? Or might they be surprised by your offer because they thought that God's word to you was more like mushed peas, something that you didn't really like but is good for you anyway. No, you, you, you and I, we've got to love the Word of God. We have to love the Word of God so that others will love His Word as well. And that's what I want us to talk about this morning as we return once again to Matthew 28. So if you have your Bibles with you, if you'd open to that last chapter in Matthew if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you, uh, or if you just would like to look in your bulletin, the passage is printed there as well. So when you found Matthew chapter 28, if you would stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Father in heaven, uh, bless again your word to us. We pray through the understanding and the wisdom and the power that only your spirit can bring to your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As you know, for the last three weeks, we've been looking at different ways that you and I can be effective in carrying out this commission that Jesus has given to us, which is to go and make disciples and teach those disciples to obey all that Jesus has commanded. So the first way we saw that we might be effective is that you and I must be compassionate. We have to be compassionate. Jesus was. His heart went out to the people that he taught. He understood them. He knew they had struggles and disappointments and needs. He knew their joys and triumphs. He knew all about them. But most importantly, Jesus knew that apart from his word and apart from his life, all those he taught were hopeless and helpless. You and I have to have that same kind of understanding and compassion. The second way we saw to be effective in this uh, commission to teach is to be welcomed. Jesus welcomed the least, the lost, and the left out. I don't know where I read that, but I read that somewhere. He welcomed the least, the lost, and the left out. And those people sensed in Jesus something that made them feel that with him they would be safe. That's got to be our prayer. That you and I, filled with the Spirit of God, would allow the, the, the fruit of the Spirit to emanate from our lives. His love, His joy, His peace, His patience, all of it. The people might see it and be drawn near to us. And when they come, we welcome them. As Jesus welcomed them, as Jesus welcomed you. And teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. Last week... We talked about the third way to be effective in this commission that Christ has given to us, and that is that we must expect the Word of God to do what the Word of God does, and that is astonish and amaze. We have to continually be astonished by the Word of God, and so must those that we teach. Last week, I also sang Sam Cooke. Now, we won't go there again. I don't want to traumatize you this week. So I'm not going to sing Nat King Cole of Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire Flame, but I am going to allow him to tell his story in his own words. And this is it. I was walking along, minding my business, when out of an orange-colored sky, flash, bam, alakazam, wonderful you came by. I was humming a tune, Drinking in sunshine, when out of that orange-colored view, flash, bam, alakazam, I got a look at you. One look, and I yelled, Kemper, watch out for flying glass, because the ceiling fell in and the bottom fell out. I went into a spin, and I started to shout up and hit. This is it. This is it. I was walking along, minding my business, when love came and hit me in the eye. Flash, bam, alakazam, out of an orange-colored sky. Now, would you call that a story of amazement and astonishment? I, I would, especially when we saw last week that 
To be astonished means to feel overwhelmed, to feel as if you've been struck by a blow. Flash, bam. But what do you think the rest of Nat's story is? Did he actually speak to this amazing, astonishing vision when she came walking out of the orange-colored sky? Maybe, maybe not. Did he ask this vision out on a date? Maybe, maybe not. Did he marry this astonishing vision? Maybe, maybe not. And if he married her, did they live happily ever after? Maybe, maybe not. What follows astonishment? What follows amazement? This morning, we're going to look at yet another snapshot of Jesus. And this snapshot shows us what's on the other side of astonishment and amazement. And you're very familiar with this story. From John chapter 4, Jesus is very tired. He's weary, probably very dusty. He's been traveling. So at noon, he comes to a well and he sits down to rest. And while he's there, a a woman comes to the well to draw water. And Jesus asks her for a drink. And the woman is very surprised by the request. And she says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Jews don't like Samaritans. And you ask me for a drink. And Jesus said to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me. And I would give you living water. A gift of God for me? Amazing. Astonishing. Living water? Amazing. Astonishing. Jesus continues. Whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty again. Never be thirsty again? Amazing. Astonishing. Jesus continues that the water he gives becomes a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving eternal life. Eternal life from the water you give. Amazing. Astonishing. And so the woman says to Jesus, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. These are words of hope and words of life to this woman. And they taste so sweet to her that she readily receives them. And then in her astonishment and in her amazement, she forgets all about her water jar and she leaves it there by the well and she takes off running and she tells everyone in the village, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? And the people from the village, came streaming to Jesus. And they believed in him, Scripture says, because of what the woman said. Here, you try it too. And they begged Jesus to stay in their village. And so Jesus stays for two more days and many more people hear his words and many more people believe. And then the villagers say this to that woman. Now we believe Not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. So watch the progression in this story. The woman tastes the words of Jesus. They're so good. 
They satisfy her soul, her deepest hunger, her deepest longings and yearnings. Mmm, this is so good. Then she goes and tells others. And others see the love that this woman has for the words of Jesus. And so when she offers Jesus' words to them, they taste them. And they discover as well that the words of Jesus are just as good as the woman said. And so they believed as well. That's what follows astonishment and amazement. It turns into a love for Christ. A love for his truth. Living water truth. Eternal life truth. Never be thirsty again, truth. As we know, and as Jesus knew, this woman had had five husbands. And the man that she was with now was not even her husband uh, at all. We don't have time to probe that. This woman came to the well at a time of day when it was almost certain that she would not encounter any other human being. Why is that? Because she was such a bad woman or because the world had been so bad to her. But how great must her love for the words of Christ been that she was willing to take this risk to tell Jesus' words to others in spite of everything that everyone in her village believed to be true about her. And how enthusiastic must her presentation of the words uh, uh, of, of Christ been? How, how great must have been her, mm, this is so good to have overcome everyone's opinions and attitudes and prejudices against her and to believe her words and to come and try the words of Jesus for themselves. Love for Christ. Love for his word. That's what follows being amazed and being astonished. The word of God is something to love. I want to read you some verses. All of them come from Psalm 119. The psalmist, a real person, <laughs> writes, For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. We don't know the author of Psalm 119. But clearly, he loved the word of the Lord. We do know the author of Psalm 19 was King David. Listen to what he writes. I read part of it earlier. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. His rule, 
The rules of the Lord are true and altogether righteous. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Sometimes I think that we struggle with feeling love for the Word of God. We hear psalms like the ones I've read, and when we're honest, this intense kind of love for the Word of God doesn't always resonate with our hearts. We don't always delight in the Word of God. We don't often see it as a source of refreshment. It's something that revives our souls. We don't always rejoice in it. The Word of God is often not our first stop for wisdom or enlightenment. That privilege belongs to Google or YouTube or an agenda-driven media. We don't often treasure the Word above gold, fine gold. In reality, money and things sort of drive our lives. They become our idols. We, we treasure them and desire them more than we treasure the Word of God. The Word of God is not sweeter to us than honey. Sometimes if it comes between the Word of God and a nice piece of chocolate, a nice piece of chocolate wins. And it's probably not very often true that we say that we love the Word of God exceedingly. But David did. Why? I don't know, but look at his life. David was a mighty warrior. And the song sung about David in his day was this. Saul has struck down his thousands. And David, his tens of thousands. One who was a mighty warrior. And one who slain thousands upon thousands. Even when those slayings are justified. That person is desperate, I imagine, to find hope in the Word of God who created human life. The one who is not God, the one who doesn't understand why, the one who doesn't understand the higher ways of the one and only true and living God is desperate to go to God's Word to find God's heart and His mind and his purpose revealed. The one who is perhaps the most famous adulterer in all of recorded history needs to go to the Word of God to to find a word of healing and forgiveness from the God against whom he has sinned and and to know how to, to navigate the lives of those he's forever changed. The one who has to flee from his enemies time and time and time again just to preserve his own life is desperate for the word of God to find there a word of peace and comfort and safety and security. The one who's responsible for leading a nation of people to love the Lord and to love the word of the Lord as he loves it. He's desperate to go to that word to find a word of wisdom And to know how to lead well. And of course, David found all these things in God's word. 
as you and I find these things in God's Word. And so he loved the Word of God. He rejoiced in the Word of God. He felt revived and enlightened by the Word of God. And he wanted others to love that Word as well. You and I must love the Word of God. And here's where I think Nat King Cole's story leads us astray a little bit. I was walking along, minding my business, when love came and hit me in the eye. No, it didn't. No, it didn't. Love is not what hit him in the eye. You and I cannot love someone or something we don't know. It's not possible. We can't love who or what we do not know. We can be amazed. We can be astonished by that person or by that thing, but you cannot love them. Our culture has reduced love to just an emotion, to just a feeling that comes and goes. But there was a time in history, Scripture being one of those times, when love included all of our human faculties, our minds, our wills, our affections. So I'll just say this, if you're waiting for a feeling of love for the Word of God to come, I cannot promise you that you'll ever have that feeling of love for the Word of God. However, when your mind tells you that in the pages of Scripture, you find revealed God your Father and Christ your Savior, and when your heart sings out, I want to know you, Jesus my Lord, To know you more and more, I trade my treasures and all my rewards just to know you more. Then you might look to the words of Scripture and love them. When your mind tells you that you cannot navigate the complexities of your life, and our lives are complex, in your own wisdom and in your own strength, then you may love to look into the pages of Scripture to find both. When your mind and your heart and your will tell you that you need hope that you can't find in this world and peace you can't find in this world and freedom you can't find in this world and guidance that you can't find anywhere else but in Scripture, then you might look into the pages of Scripture for those things. And here's the good news. You want some good news? When you seek, you will find. You know how I know that? For thus saith the Lord... You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And because Jesus says, and I tell you, seek and you will find. When you find your father and your savior in the word of God, you'll love the word of God like David did. When you look and when you find what you're looking for, the word that gives life, like the the woman by the well did, then you will love the Word of God like she loved the Word of God. And when you love the Word of God, you're going to say to others, "Mm, this is so good. Here, you try some. And perhaps they will, just because they see how much you love God's Word. And then you have the opportunity to welcome them with compassion and teach them all that Jesus has commanded in His Word. I'm going to close with this. Tertullian was a very early Christian author, uh, an apologist for the faith. He lived from 155 to 220 A.D. 
And he gives us in his writings a glimpse into the life of the early church and their worship. And this is what he writes. We assemble to read our sacred writings. With the sacred words, we nourish our faith. We animate our hope. We make our confidence more steadfast. How much would you love to see that happen among us, even right now, that our faith would be nourished, that our hope would be made alive, that our confidence in our salvation would be sure through the Word of God? Guess what? It can happen. It will happen when we love the Word of the Lord and offer it to others for them to love as well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. You've preserved it for us. We find you in your word. Lord Jesus, we find you in that word as well. So we pray, Lord, that you would override even our emotions, that you would engage all our faculties, hearts, minds, wills, so that we love your word deeply. We know change will come through it. Help us love it and offer it to others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.